Good afternoon. We're grateful for your presence. There are a few visitors among us. We're thankful that you're here with us this afternoon and the chance that we have to study together. We will be continuing in the one-word study that we've been going through for uh, a couple of years now. This is um, a continuation of something we've done each month. I did not have any notes. If you have the bulletin in front of you, there's usually an outline or notes. I didn't add anything here, but we still have several things that we want to cover. Appreciate Don leading those two songs because uh, they were suggested in the material as two potential songs or possible songs we could sing to go along with the thoughts, the idea of fellowship and being binded together and the common love that we share. The, the word for this month, or the word we're going to look at this afternoon, is the word fellowship. I'm not sure what you think of when you hear that word. For many people, maybe you think of casseroles and green beans and fried chicken. Uh, even as we appreciate Bob's prayer just a moment ago, praying for the food that we had and the time of fellowship that we shared just a few moments ago. For a lot of people, if you hear the church talk about fellowship, well, then we're going to eat. There's going to be good food, and we're thankful for that. And that's surely part of it. Some people, especially around this congregation, think of Rook or Scrabble or some of the games that we've had that we play on game night, if you've ever been a, be able to be a part of our game night. Uh, for some people, maybe it's something like a Bible camp or gospel meeting or some of those times of fellowship that we have with area congregations or even like a Bible camp where we're on that uh, mountaintop experience, as we sometimes say, the fellowship that we have. You know, we just came off of a great week of vacation with our family. We spent time together. We relaxed and that kind of thing. Uh, and I joked with somebody earlier, I said, my next vacation is going to be Bible camp, and that's not much of a vacation. But, you know, it's interesting because while that's a lot of work, and it's really hot, and it's very tiring, there's also this different feeling when you come off of a week of fellowship with people that you care about, that you share a common bond, a common love together, that you are uh, have something that binds you together that goes beyond just something else. You know, we also just came off of baseball season uh, with some of our kids, and, and there's a, a unity that exists among, you know, a team and the players and even the parents as you're there together, again, through the heat, through the time of watching games. There's, there's a bond there, in a sense. But we're talking about something different when we talk about fellowship. Uh, if you've been with us, we've talked about the word church already. These, this one-word study is broken down into sections, and this section that we're in is talking about God's church. We talked about the word church last month. We're going to talk about fellowship, worship, kingdom, and proclaim as we think about uh, God's church and our working together. You know, I wanted to say before we get into this uh, too much, we're going to circle back to this at the end, but some of you know this particular brother, uh, Garden Elkins, who died just a few years ago, a great gospel preacher for many years. Uh, it's listed there as the Get Well Church of Christ. And some of you remember or notice this particular picture. It's taken uh, from a 1984 edition of the Phil Donahue Show. And some of you are aware of this situation. But when we talk about fellowship, and again, we're going to circle back around at the end of the lesson to the idea of disfellowship or church discipline or withdrawing fellowship. One of the most well-known stories or occasions that took place was around this time because here we had a, a brother a preacher of the gospel who was not only on the field Donahue show, but also uh, was written about in Time magazine because of an issue that took place in 1981 in the Collinsville, Oklahoma area with a congregation who was going to or did withdraw fellowship from a, a woman there who was having an affair with the, the ex-mayor of the town or the former mayor of the town. And when they, they did this, they went through this procedure, then she turned around and sued them for one3 
million dollars. Well, of course, something like that drew the attention, the national attention, and this woman, and I believe her lawyer, was on the Phil Donahue show. They called Brother Elkins, and he was on the show as well. And it became very famous as we think about this idea of fellowship. You know, that's not all there is now because it's much easier in some ways to get national attention. Just a couple of years ago in February or March of 2021, uh, just an hour north of here, the West Sparta Congregation, West Sparta Church of Christ, in, uh, up a little north of us, uh, withdrew fellowship from a woman. They sent her a letter. The elders had signed it. They tried to explain how they had tried to contact her about some things that were going on in her life. And all she did, of course, nowadays was posted on Facebook. And the next thing you know, news organizations are picking it up, and it's going viral, so to speak. There have been other situations, even down in the Atlanta, Georgia area of something along those same lines. It's sort of a lightning rod kind of topic or issue. It's something that can get notarized. And again, we want to come back to the, the other side of this in just a few moments. When people hear that word, what are we talking about? When we think about the idea of fellowship, let's talk about a couple of words and a few passages. When we think about the Old Testament, there's not a lot when it comes to the New Testament idea of fellowship the New Testament words for fellowship are not used to translate the Old Testament words related to fellowship with God. Frequently, though, the word that's used in this group that's translated is, is the word C-H-A-D-A-R that's on the screen there, meaning to unite or to be joined. So, yes, fellowship may carry the idea of scrabble or may carry the idea of chicken and casseroles and meals, but we're talking about, of course, the, the fellowship, the unity or being joined together. One of the uh, theological dictionaries that's sometimes cited, the theological dictionary of the New Testament, put this idea of the Old Testament, the Hebrew word here in the New Testament, in this way. The absence of the group for fellowship with God marks off the Old Testament from the New Testament, from the Greek world. The righteous in the Old Testament, this is what I want you to consider, the righteous in the Old Testament depend on God they trust in God, but they do not regard themselves as his fellows. Again, that's a quotation from the Theological Dictionary of New Testament Words. But have you ever considered that? That in the Old Testament, they rely on him, they depend on him, they trust in him. But in the New Testament, with the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, it takes on a whole new meaning as we think about being Fellows. I don't mean to, to bring God down to our level in that sense or to be irreverent in any way, but hopefully you understand what I'm talking about. But the idea that we do have fellowship with God. The word that you're probably more familiar with in the Greek or in the New Testament is koinonia. And it's used 19 times in the New Testament. This is translated as fellowship. Of course, that's what our word is. It's translated as participation. The one word that we kind of want to talk about or keep in our minds as we think about this is it's sometimes translated as sharing. Sharing. When we think about green beans and casseroles, we think about sharing. Sharing in our food. Sharing in our time together. But it's an association. It's an association involving close mutual relations and involvement. A close association. We just finished on Wednesday nights, if you were with us not too long ago, a study of the book Church Reset. And the idea was that sometimes we are closer to our ball family or to our work family than we are to our, our family. I mean, yes, our blood family, but even our church family, the church, and those that we should have a close association or fellowship with. 
And so this is the word that is often uh, translated and used when we think about this idea. And let's look at about four passages here very quickly that point that out. The first is 1 John. Actually, the first two are going to come from 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. 1 John 1, 1. John is writing against the backdrop here of false teachers. False teachers who, who are denying, among other things, they have a lot of things they're denying, but they're denying that Jesus came in human flesh. 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In verse 3 here, John gives the goal or the purpose of their proclamation concerning what they've personally experienced with Jesus. He keeps talking about this. I tried to emphasize it with my tone, but he talks about which we have heard, which we have seen, looked upon. That which we have seen and we have heard, we declare. The goal or purpose of that, he says in verse 3, is so that you too may have fellowship. So that you also may have fellowship. You see, these false teachers had fractured the relationship between brothers and sisters in Christ. And John reminds them and reminds us that the proper teaching and especially the proper understanding of the nature of Christ impacts our relationships with each other and our heavenly relationships as well. The most important fellowship that we can have is with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now think about that for a moment and think about who's sitting around you right now. How, how much association would many of us have if it weren't for the fellowship that we should have in the Father and the Son and the Spirit? We are thankful, my family is, to have come to work here, to be with this congregation, to meet many of you. But would we have ever known many of you or met you if it hadn't, be, hadn't been for the fellowship that we have in the Father, Son, and Spirit? Jesus himself declares that knowing the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, is eternal life. You see, what's interesting here, we are not just religious people. We talked about that a little bit this morning. We are not just religious people. We are people in a relationship, in fellowship with the divine. While you're there, the second passage is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And we have talked about this already this morning just a little bit. 1 John 1, 5 reminds us that our relationship with God is not just something that we know. It is something that we live. In verse 6, we have the first of six if, if you will, if clauses that are found between 1 John 1, 6 and 1 John 2, 2. And as you're looking down through there, you see those. If we say, if we walk, if we confess, all those if statements. John seems to be using seems to be using these clauses to prevent, or excuse me, to present common arguments of the false teachers and then his response to their claims. Apparently, these false teachers were claiming that their enlightened understanding of what they say is the true nature of things allowing them to is allowing them to have a special and unique relationship with God. John says that the first test of their claims is that those who have fellowship with the Father will not walk in darkness. He states it in verse 7, if you look in the 7 in a positive way, 
If we walk as in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But declares it in the negative in verse 6 when it comes to this idea of walking in darkness, lying and not practicing the truth. Our lives should be consistent with the blessings that we have as Christians and the God who gave them to us. Walking in darkness is not consistent with fellowship with the God of light. You see, that's what we're talking about. And even as we talked about this morning with those who say, Lord, Lord, but they're not doing what Jesus said. Walking in darkness is not consistent with fellowship with the God of light. That goes back to that second point we had this morning about those who don't care. Those who are hypocritical, they don't care. They're saying one thing, but they're actually walking in darkness. They're not walking with the God of light. May we not be that way when we think about fellowship with God. Number three, Acts 2.42. We're going to come back here in just a moment, but let's go ahead and touch on it here. Acts 2.42. This is one of those places, depending on the version that you have, you may see the word fellowship. That's the word koinonia. Again, it's used 19 times. This is one of them. But Acts 2.42 shows us that the gospel message brings people into fellowship with one another. We become part of a family. Acts 2.47 states, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. When we respond to the gospel message through faith, when we express that in repentance, confession, and baptism, God adds us to his people and we begin a shared life together. I keep making the jokes about the food and, and, and kind of being funny. Uh, even Josh and I were talking about there a few moments ago, sitting at the table eating. We said, boy, you know, this is some good food. I say often that I joke that Hannah keeps a running list of all the ladies that I'd go move in and live with if I could, if they just cook for me all the time. You know, we joke about people and their good food. That's true. Hey, I, I'd get to know some of you real close if, if you'd cook for me and we'd make some good food. But it certainly does go above and beyond that. I'm being facetious in a sense about that. But when we talk about being in fellowship and the fellowship that was had here there may be a mention of sharing in food there may be a mention of sharing in fellowship and meals around tables we'll come back to that but it's much more than that I, I say it all the time but I do not understand I, I do not understand how people often make it through the tragedies of this life without the fellowship of church family I think about those of uh, a uh, family who, who loses a, a child who loses a loved one, I mean, a, a baby, some kind of, of disease or cancer or something. I don't know how a person makes it without the fellowship of church family. Sure, people come together, communities come together, they'll raise money, they'll do things for the family, but it's different when you've got the fellowship that comes with being a part of God's family, of the family of God, and a part of being his people who share in life together. All right, we're going to come back there, but let's look lastly at Philippians chapter 1. And we're actually going to translate this into another point as well in just a moment. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul mentions participation. Okay, so here's the word. And I know we try not to make this a deep word study. I'm not trying to make Greek scholars out of anybody, myself included. I'm not the best at that. But here in Philippians 1.5, you may see the word participation or fellowship. But that's that word koinonia here. He mentions, Paul mentions participation in the gospel. Baptism into Christ not only means entering into a relationship with God and God's people like we just talked about, but it also means that we are to join in God's work. Paul understands that it takes a team to be successful in overcoming 
the work of the evil in the world. I don't know who it was that, that's already prayed. Maybe it was Bob just a few moments ago uh, that, that prayed for us. But we look back sometimes through the history of the world and we see the evil today and it's so in our faces and we think, oh, it's the worst it's ever been. No, there's certainly been evil for a long, long time. But Paul understands and is saying here when he talks about fellowship in the gospel. He's writing to Christians and he's saying it's going to take all of us working together. Yes, the evil is strong. Yes, it's all around us. But it took them working together in fellowship then. It takes us working together in fellowship now. Paul is able to take the gospel across the globe because congregations like Philippi share in the work. Sharing in Christ's family means we all have a responsibility to participate in the work of our Savior. I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know what it looks like every day or every week for you. But we've got to be participating, fellowshipping in the work of the gospel. That looks like a lot of different things is the truth. There's work to be done here. We're about to go through it in just a few moments ago with care team number two. Meeting in just a few moments. That's part of it. We went through it already in here as we met together. Some of us as a family eating together and fellowshipping. It comes through when we send our funds to places overseas. I woke up this morning. I got up this morning, had a Facebook notification. It's not somebody that we actually support as a congregation here, but somebody had shared on Facebook, on social media, part of a service that was taking place uh, over in Europe. A set of missionaries that we've been affiliated with before, and they were sharing their service that had been going on and a video from that. You know, we may not, again, participate in that specific work, but we do have those things that are going on that we're working together and it's able to allow the gospel to go around the globe because we're taking part as a congregation in the work. So that's what Philippi was doing. We're going to come back here. I don't know if you want to put your finger or a marker there, but go to Acts chapter 16. There were many different ways that Philippi assisted in Paul's work. You want to talk about fellowship? Let's notice a few here. The first couple come from the book of Acts, and you've got to pay attention Again, thinking about word studies and knowing your Bible, you've got to pay attention. But notice in Acts chapter 16, I have a heading in verse 11 that Lydia is baptized at Philippi. So we need to notice that Paul is in Philippi here at this time. And Luke, of course, is writing these things. Luke is traveling with them. And they're going to record these things here. And there's going to be action, effort that takes place here in Philippi. In Acts 16 and verse 15, she, that's Lydia, and her household were baptized. She begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Think about fellowship. Think about the church at Philippi. What does this sound like here? It sounds like fellowship in the gospel. It also sounds like food. I'm going to bet, if she's going to say if she's willing to have them in her house, it sounds like that kind of fellowship as well. But Lydia was a host. Notice in Acts 16, verses 33 and 34, the Philippian jailer that takes that we often refer to here. That's the second one here. The jailer. The jailer was a host to Paul and Silas. You remember that he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, actually says it right here, he set food before them, and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. Lydia was a host, and the jailer was a host. 
But let's go further and think about some of the gifts that were given. If you look in 2 Corinthians, first of all, before we get back to Philippians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 9. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 9. Paul again, writing to those in Corinth, says, And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one, for what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. Paul, as we think about the area of Macedonia and Philippi together there, Philippi, Macedonia sent gifts to Paul at Thessalonica. He's saying, I don't have to worry about what comes next. I don't have to worry about my support, what I'm going to eat or what's going to happen because of the gifts that you sent. Excuse me, I, I quoted the wrong thing there. Philippi sent gifts to Paul at Corinth. I said the wrong place. Philippi sent gifts to Paul at Corinth. Now let's think about Thessalonica and go back to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 16. Here he's writing to Philippi. He's addressing these people directly and he says, For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. I just got the places mixed up there. My apologies. But Paul sent gifts, or Philippi sent gifts to Paul at Thessalonica. He knew he could count on them. You ever got a good package in the mail? You ever, I mean, we were in college at one time there, you know, and you received that care package from home that had, you knew right where it was from, and you knew it was going to have something that you wanted and you needed, that you could enjoy. Paul says, I don't have to worry, because Philippi is participating with him in his work. Lydia was a host. The jailer was a host. They sent gifts to Thessalonica. They sent gifts to Corinth. And they even sent recent gifts there, as he mentions in Philippians chapter 2, and even in Philippians chapter 4, uh, we won't take the time to read all of these, but he talks about the recent gifts that led him to the writing of his letter. He talks about this idea that they were, they were sharing in this fellowship. Think about, think about the ways that they participated. That's what we're talking about when we talk about fellowship. Now, two more things here in the lesson will be yours. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2 again, and let's notice... What new Christians are doing here. Acts 2, 42 through 47. We're going to kind of expand to that whole section there. Acts 2, 42 through 47. What is it that new Christians should be doing after a conversion? Well, they continue to study God's word. They fellowship with God's people. They observe the Lord's Supper and pray. And they share in everything. Let's notice four things here together. They're all going to start with the letter P if you're making your own notes there. But here, the early Christians shared, first of all, in their possessions. Verse 44, all who believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. They're sharing in fellowship by sharing in their possessions. Number two, they shared in their presence. Verse 46, so they continued daily with one accord in the temple. They share, or excuse me, continue daily with one accord in the temple. What are they doing? They are together. And yet, sadly, I don't know if tragically is too strong of a word, in our society today, 21st century United States of America Christianity, many people feel like, all we have to do is check the box of one hour or even two hours, and that should be it. You know, that's what that book, Church Reset, was about. 
Yes, being here is important. The elders say that we're going to meet here. The church is going to be meeting to study, and people need to be here as we fellowship and meet here at the building together. But that shouldn't be it. That shouldn't be the only time. They shared in their presence. And it seems like probably a lot more frequently than Christians today often do. Number three, they shared together in their plates, if you will, breaking bread from house to house, and ate, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They are sharing in that food. They are sharing in that fellowship that comes together with a shared meal. Yet, hopefully it's good food, but it's also that time spent in conversation. It's where you learn about people's history, their background, their family, what they do, what they might have done in the past that makes us better equipped to then help one another through certain situations. That's what presence and plates, and these two points, can bring there together. And then finally, in the fourth place here, they shared in their praise. Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They shared in their praise. When we assemble here each first day of the week, it's about everything. It's about all of it. We should come together first and foremost to praise God, to participate in the communion together, that fellowship time and partaking of the breaking of the bread, the sharing of the cup, the Lord's Supper. But we do also enjoy the fun, the laughter, the fellowship that we have together. In our case, it does include food in a sense with lunch if you like to stay and be a part of that. But it's everything together. You know, we oftentimes leave on Sunday afternoon a little tired. You know, a lot of us do, a little, a little tired from a long morning and afternoon. But hopefully you also leave a little re-energized, at least in a spiritual sense. When you think about facing the rest of the week, knowing that you've had some time with brothers and sisters in Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is the last passage we'll look at here. I told you we'd circle back to Brother Elkins and, and the idea that took place there. And the thing that... Uh, was discussed there on the Phil Donahue show, this idea of disfellowship or withdrawing fellowship or church discipline. There's a lot of words that are used, uh, and there's a lot of things that go into it. We don't have time in this particular lesson to study all of this. Uh, Maybe another lesson for another time. Uh, it's something that should be led by the elders, but it should involve the whole congregation. And I want us to talk about this passage in particular, but let me also sort of qualify the statement by saying here, as I reference, of course, I wasn't a part of that situation, but even referencing the, con the congregation at West Sparta, I'm not familiar with the ins and outs of all that. Um, when things like that go viral or get shared, it's hard to, you know, sort of understand what exactly the situation is when you start trying to dig in, unless you know people or are a part of it directly. But we do want to notice the words of Paul, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 6, Paul says, But we command you, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. The situation is we have people. They had people then, we have people today who choose not to continue in the apostles' doctrine and in their teaching, the teaching of God's word. Paul's instructions are, we are to withdraw from them. Every brother who walks disorderly, not according to the tradition which he received from us. Notice also verses 14 and 15, though. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person, a similar idea here, and do not keep company with him that he may not be ashamed, 
or excuse me, that he may be ashamed. That's the point of this. But verse 15, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Whether it be the situation there in 1984, the situation in 2021, or the situations that will arise in the future, we need to understand that fellowship should be something that is important that we should cling to. And part of that is at times withdrawing our fellowship from someone who is walking disorderly. But the point is not to make them feel terrible in a sense that they're just awful, terrible people that, that can't be forgiven. That's not the purpose of that. But notice the purpose in verse 14 is that they may be ashamed. We mentioned it, I think, uh, briefly this morning, but in Galatians chapter 2, do you recall there when there's a problem between Peter and Paul? Paul says that he withstood Peter to his face because he was to be blamed. You see, Peter needed to feel bad for what he was doing. And Paul is saying essentially here a similar thing, that there are situations that arise in which a person who is not doing what they should needs to feel the sting and the pain of their sin. But there's also the qualification there in verse 15. It's not to be done in a way that counts them as an enemy, but admonishing them as a brother. Now, that's a very short statement about a very deep and difficult subject. What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, that's, that's a little more study. I think uh, we get this wrong a lot. Uh, the world does. Certainly Christians do, and it's a tough thing to study. But I want us to understand as well that we have to sometimes draw this line of fellowship to tell somebody we can't associate with, with you anymore, with the sinful way in which you're living. It's not because you cannot be forgiven. It's not because we are holier than you in a sense, but it's because we are trying to cling to God's word and you are not by the sinful way which you're, the path you're going down. We want to draw that person back because of their shame, back to doing what's right. Not just because the preacher preaches it, but because it's what God's word says. That can be very deep and difficult, but it's something that we should strive to remember when it comes to this idea of fellowship. See, fellowship can be something that we can use to help encourage those who are not being faithful to God. If we withdraw that, hopefully it encourages them to do what's right, to come back to the truth, to come back to serving God in the proper fashion. <clears throat> when we think about fellowship, it's important. We think about fellowship as something that should be good, that we should enjoy together. But as we said just a few moments ago, that fellowship begins in the gospel and in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian, why not? Why not enjoy that fellowship first and foremost with God, understanding the saving power that's in the blood of Christ, being added to the church so that you can begin to live faithfully. When we think about remaining faithful, though, maybe you're here this afternoon and you've not been faithful. Maybe it's of a public way in which you'd like to make it known in a public sense that we can pray with you and for you. Maybe it's private. Maybe it's just something else that you're struggling with, as we talked about in the lesson this morning. We're thankful for, for fellowship, the fellowship that we can enjoy together here that's in God and His Son Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. If you're here this afternoon and you're subject to heaven's invitation, you need to become a Christian or come back to Him. We'd love to encourage you even now as we stand.